0: Romans chapter 8 almost conveniently fits into three mini-sections. In the first section there is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the second section there is the work of the Holy Spirit. In the last section of Romans chapter 8 there is the eternal work and purposes of God the Father. So there you have it in one chapter, the triune God at work for the believer's redemption and for his living in this new covenant and for his ultimate destiny and glorification in God. The first part deals with the Son of God. The last part, the Father. But right there in the middle of Romans chapter 8, from about verse 5 all the way to verse 27, there is this lengthy section that deals with the workings of the Holy Spirit. And in this particular section, Paul highlights some aspects of the Holy Spirit that you will not find in other letters that he wrote. Here, he will, in a way, point out eight things that the Holy Spirit can do for you. Now, in the initial verses there, it is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets you free from the law of sin and death. So we might include that a little bit, that the Holy Spirit frees you But now that you are free, we come to verse 5 and all the way to verse 27, there is this beefy and lengthy section that now deals with the Spirit's work in the believer. You are now the son and daughter of God. You have come to faith in Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah. What now? We know that the Father will ultimately glorify you, but until then... How am I supposed to walk with God and live out the spiritual life? Well, this is where the Spirit of God and of Jesus Christ now comes in. He lives within the believer to do these eight things. Number one, He will stabilize your spiritual life. Number two, He will make you subject to God. Number three, He will saturate your entire being. Number four, and this is a difficult one, He's going to make you the slave of God. Number five, by the Spirit, you will be able to subdue the issues of your flesh. Number six, the Spirit will make you the Son of God and lead you into a confident walk in the Holy Spirit. Number seven, He is going to strengthen you and cause you to endure in suffering. And then number eight, the Spirit is going to pray through you. He's going to strengthen you and support and supplicate through you in prayer. So there you have it, at least from Romans chapter eight. Eight things that the Holy Spirit can do for you. God knows that the human life is difficult. After all, God in the person of our Lord Jesus the Christ lived this human life. And he lived it on the same plane, suffering and struggling with the same issues that is common to all of us as homo sapiens. So God knows that you cannot live out the God life without the supply of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we were given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ Himself, the very Spirit that led Christ and navigated and regulated with Him the issues of this world and this life. That self-same Holy Spirit, that breath of Christ, lives within us who now say, Jesus is the Lord. Beloved, God knows what you need, and in the Spirit, the all-inclusive Spirit, everything that you need for life and godliness is provided. So here are eight to just remind you, you are not in this alone. Religion don't have to aid you. Uh, Works of the flesh don't have to aid you. You don't have to try so hard. You don't have to get into legalism and bondage. Like the rest of us, you just have to learn to look to the Spirit of God. It is not by might that things are going to happen in your life. It is not by power that things are going to change in your life. You cannot live this Christian life independent of the Spirit of God. So pay attention to these eight things among many, but particularly from Romans 8, that the Spirit of God can aid you in. Romans 8 really is divided into three sections. Section 1 is dealing with the work and the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, dealing with the issue of sin. And you can find that from verses 1 to about verse 4. There's a description of the salvific and redemptive work in Jesus Christ. Then starting in verses 5, All the way to verse 27, there is this huge beefy chunk of text devoted to the workings of the Holy Spirit. So you have the workings of the Son of God for sin, but the workings of the Holy Spirit to live out this lifestyle in God. And then at verse 28, all the way to the conclusion of Romans 8, god the father comes into play and here you understand the eternal purposes of god and the heart's desires of god and this letter climaxes really with the love of god and nothing can separate me from the love of god not even death itself so really romans 8 is a marvelous chapter expounding just the triune god the son accomplishing redemption. The Spirit enabling, empowering, uh, energizing me to to live the spiritual life. And then he concludes Romans 8 with just the grand overarching purposes of God is to transform you into the image of His Son. God is for you. He justified you. He will spare nothing to to, to build you up and, and to sustain you. And even if you were led like a lamb to the slaughter, and all powers and principalities come against you, Paul concludes by saying nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is for you in Christ Jesus. What a marvelous snapshot of the triune God working synergistically, working together through Son, through Spirit, through Father, for you and I's life in the New Testament. I want to, however, spend a little bit of time with you in verses 5 all the way through 27 that deals with what the Holy Spirit can do in this new life. This life where I'm no longer condemned and I am in the law of the Spirit of life. So we ask the question, what can the Holy Spirit do for me? Christ accomplished salvation. He released me from the the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the presence of sin and even the practices of sin. So we ask, what can the Holy Spirit do for me? Well, in many of Paul's other letters, he would continue to speak on the Holy Spirit, notably in the book of Galatians, how the Holy Spirit can bear fruit through me. In his letters to the Corinthians, he speaks how the Holy Spirit can bear and express these ministries through me. The Holy Spirit can gift me. In uh, Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts, we see how the Holy Spirit can come upon me and empower me to prophesy, to speak in tongues, to do works of power and miracles. So the Holy Spirit can do a lot of work. But here in Romans 8, he touches on some things that he doesn't expound elsewhere in his letters. And I want to read for you a little bit and show you some of the things that we have need of in our lives and how the Spirit can actually accomplish that uh, deficit, how he can aid you, strengthen you and cause you to overcome in many, many ways. Perhaps, let me first write down some of the things that we have need of post our salvation. It's not as though we get saved, and then all of a sudden everything is hunky-dory. And I think that is a little bit of a misnomer for many of us accepting Jesus in the first place. At times, we hear the preacher say, Come to Jesus and... Your issues with your girlfriend will be solved. Come to Jesus and your grades in college are going to auto correct. Come to Jesus and that bitterness between you and your parents will be resolved. Come to Jesus and you'll get a promotion. Come to Jesus and follow Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. And there's the promise of houses and land and cars and jobs and status. Come to Jesus and here's a red carpet for the remainder of your life. And so many of us, including me, we often say yes, not really to a life in the New Testament. We say yes to a perceived life of a red carpet. And I build and I script in my imagination what the Christian life is all about. It's a mountaintop experience. It's a red carpet with rose petals laid out for me. I never get sick. I never get fired. I never get reprimanded. I don't have to grow. I don't have to be pruned. There's no sanctification involved. There's no suffering involved. And so we embark on this pseudo, make pretend fairy tale spirituality, only to crash and burn. And get down to bedrock. That, hey, even though I'm saved, there's still many, many things that I lack. Many, many things that I have to come into. And this is what Paul then in Romans 8 is wanting to impress us with. Those needs, those lacks that you have, they will not be provided by your flesh. They will not be provided by religion or... Self-improvement or systems and strategies and formulas. and It's the work of the Holy Spirit. One of those things that you and I need is stability in our inner man. Romans 8 verses 5 and 6. He says, For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now look at verse 6. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the Spirit, the mind that inclines to the Spirit and the mind that leans into the Spirit. Notice here, that person will not experience death. He experiences life and peace. Peace. Beloved, that life and peace is an inward stability that is regulated only and exclusively by the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that when you lean into your flesh and you continue to regard the practices of the flesh and the way of the flesh and the ego and the will of the flesh, you will constantly be in turmoil. And this is what he says, if you mind the flesh, you're going to die. That is, there is angst within you. There is concern within you. There's confusion within you. And so many, 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 many of us, we live according to the flesh, and we experience an instability in our inner man. And here Paul says, what will bring you stability? It's when you lean into the Spirit. And what is that stability? It is life and peace. This is not just something that you get because you're born again. It's something that you have to grow into and practice. And here he says, you have to ongoingly lean into the things of God, lean into the things of the Spirit, and the Spirit will facilitate stability, life and peace into your inner man. So you see that in verses 6. Come to verse 7 and verses 8. Paul says, the mind that is set on the flesh, the mind that inclines to the flesh and the mind that fixates and is exercised on the flesh, that mind is enmity against God. That mind is at odds with God. That mind is hostile towards God. And then notice here, he says, For that mind, that fleshly mind, is not subject to the law of God, and neither can it be. And those who are in the flesh, therefore, cannot please God. Here, Paul puts it a little bit in the negative. He says that the mind set on the flesh finds himself at war with God and that fleshly mind that is after its own will, its own way, and its own glory, its own judgment of good, and its own energy to avoid evil, that mind is not subject to the law of God. Paul puts it in the negative, but the positive really is what is emphasized here. If you are in spirit, if you mind the spirit, if you fixate and exercise towards the spirit, you will become subject to the law of God. And the law of God, the righteous requirement of the law is that you love God. But here the flesh cannot be subject to the love of God. The flesh is subject to its own love, its own lust, its own way. And it's constantly warring against the Spirit. And God wants me to live a life in love. Love of God, love of people, and love of myself. And this is what he says here, is the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us. Like God can now take the law and transcribe it into my heart. I can live a life in love with God. So when I do something, it's not just to avoid evil. I do something because I love God. Now, I am subject to the law of God. That law is written on my heart. That law is written on my mind. And I find myself not subject to the flesh, the, the dictates of the flesh. I am now in the love of God. And that is a journey that I have to undertake with the Holy Spirit. Again, my flesh My flesh is at war with God. The book of Galatians is very clear. There is hostility. There is an antagonism from my old nature towards God. And I do not want to do things for the love of God. I want to do things for the love of I, me, and myself. So I'm not subject to God. But yeah, in spirit I can become subject to God. I can live out the law of God, which is to love. In verses 9 through 11, Paul hints on the indwelling spirit. The spirit that wants to saturate the entirety of my being In verses nine, he says, but you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells within you, notice that phrase, he abides within you. He has his home within you. He indwells you. He says in verse nine that if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. But if the spirit of Christ, verse 10, is in you, there's that phrase, He's in you. Even though your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is life because of righteousness. In verse 11, he says, If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. There it is, the third time. The spirit is in you. He is in you. He is in you. He wants to abide, reside, make his habitat, his home, his dwelling within you. And my word here, The Spirit wants to saturate your being. And we also see that the Spirit wants to saturate, yes, the spiritual part of you, the soulical part of you, and even the physical part of you. And He talks here in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, how the Spirit can even raise your body from the dead. The same way Christ's body was filled with the Holy Spirit at the time of resurrection and it saturated life into the entirety of His body and He rose from the dead. Even so, it can happen to you. So here is the saturation work, the filling work, the dwelling work, the abiding work of the Spirit in the three parts of your being. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. Every part of your being wants to be flooded with God and indwelt with God. No doubt my spirit is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So we know that God is in my spirit. But God wants to also saturate into my mind, into my emotions, and into my will, into my soul, if you will. And furthermore, He wants to make my body a temple of the Holy Spirit saturate the practices of my body, saturate the the, the living of my body, the habits of my body. So much so that my body becomes a temple of the Holy Ghost. And I am a vessel for God. I'm a vehicle for God. And so this work of saturation, it just doesn't happen there at the beginning of my salvation. Boom, I meet Jesus and all of a sudden my mind, my emotions, my will, my body, everything is for God. It's a journey that we undertake. And the saturation is kind of like a sponge. I have to soak in the water of the Spirit daily. Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 how we should not be drunk with wine, saturated with wine we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he parallels wine and the Spirit a little bit, although with different end results. From drinking comes inebriation and drunkenness and carousing. But he says in the same way that that liquor saturates and absorbs into the entirety of my being and fogs up my mind and my judgment and my will and my emotion... And it causes this body to crash and burn. He says, likewise, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit now saturate you. And you'll see He enlightens your mind. And He stabilizes your emotion. And He fortifies your will. And He strengthens your body. This is an ongoing process of walking in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for saturating us. Amen. Come to verses 12 and verses 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors. But our debt is not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In verse 12, I want you to notice he talks about slavery. He says, we have a debt to pay. We have a debt to pay. We're we're, we're a slave. We have an obligation. We're a kind of a servant. He says, however, your debt that you're paying is is not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. The implication is the debt that you pay, the the service that you do is to be to the Holy Spirit, is to, to God. I don't serve and pay the inclinations of the flesh anymore. The flesh knocks knocks at the door, but I'm no longer obligated to answer that door. Why? Because I'm saturated with the life of God. But nevertheless, even though I'm a child of God, even though I'm born again, I have a debt to pay. I'm a slave. And this is something that we have to learn as we live in the Holy Spirit. Most of us, when we meet God for the first time, we're just so happy to be saved. But we still live as though we're slaves to our culture, slaves to religion, certainly slaves to our own IQ, our own intelligence, our own logic and rationale. Our own understanding, our own wisdom, our own opinion, our own will, our own grit, our own determination, our own vision. And so what is the spiritual life? It is a journey where we are learning to become the slaves of God. The way Paul would even introduce himself in just about every letter. Paul, who is a slave and a servant of Jesus Christ. Beloved. The spiritual life is not some loose, happy-go-lucky, undisciplined, off-the-script kind of a life. It's a very regulated life. It's not about me. I've been crucified. It's no longer I who live. I'm a slave to God. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to facilitate in my life. So verse 12, he says here, I have a debt to pay, and that debt is not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Notice verse 13. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The issue here is the subduing of the practices Of the body. Don't think because you are now born again and we have come into the life of the Lord, everything is now squeaky clean in my life. Beloved, your body still wants to get angry at your father, at your mother. You still want to punch and steal and covet and lust. Yes, I'm saved, but my body is very unregulated. And so here Paul says, by the Spirit, I can actually put to death the deeds of the body, the habits and the practices and the customs of the body, those things that are innate and natural to the flesh, they can actually be changed. Y'all, this is good news. We don't have to stay the same, I don't have to just do the old thing. Uh, Peter would write about this. He says, there are people who return to sin as might a dog to his vomit. We as believers do not return to sin as might a dog go and lick up his own vomit. We have a debt to pay not to go lick up vomit. We have a debt to pay to live in the Spirit and by the Spirit to overcome and subdue these issues of the body. Now listen carefully. Most of us want to subdue the issues of the body through punishing it, through emaciating it, through cutting it, through fasting it, through stabbing it, through disciplining it, through putting it under a scrutiny and a checklist. It's not going to work. It's by the Spirit that things are done. Zechariah prophesies in chapter 4, verse 6, that it's not by might and it is not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord that things are going to be done. I want you to uh, hold your finger here in Romans 8, and I want you to come with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is very much a letter dealing with the issues of the cross, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the Galatian believers started off in the Spirit, but they didn't by the Spirit subdue the issues of the flesh. They started in the Spirit, and then they tried to perfect themselves and overcome the issues of the flesh by their own stratagems by their own formulas, by Sabbath-keeping, and circumcision, and kosher dietary laws, and do's and don'ts. And notice in chapter 3, how Paul puts it. O foolish Galatians, verse 1, Who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was openly portrayed as crucified? So he says, I want to learn this from you. Can you tell me this? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? because of all your works of the law or because you heard and responded in faith. Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now trying to be perfected through the means of your own flesh? And by the way, he's talking about good flesh, things like circumcision. Things like Sabbath keeping, things like keeping the Jewish uh, dietary kosher laws, things like celebrating the Jewish customs and traditions. These are good flesh items. And he says basically, you cannot overcome the issues of the body through good flesh. You can't grow by trying to improve your flesh. Romans 8, you have to buy the Spirit overcome the issues of your flesh. So this is something then that Paul addresses here in Romans chapter 8. Let's read on a little bit more. In verses 14, there's the need for sonship. And in sonship, Paul is going to talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit He's going to talk about confidence before God. And he's going to talk about the witness of the Holy Spirit within you. The Spirit that testifies and agrees within you regarding your stance before God. So let's read this just a little bit here in verses 14 through um, verses 17. He says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. Notice they're the leading of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit is within you, He's going to lead you. And the fact that He's leading you proves that you're a son of God. He says in verse 15, You've not received the spirit of slavery that brings you into fear and into bondage again. Yeah, we're slaves, but there's a freedom, guys. So we don't have to be afraid of God. I can have confidence before God. I don't have to run from God and think He's going to hit me. God's not out to get me. I can actually be confident before God. He says, you have received the spirit of sonship, and by that spirit within you, confidently you can say, God, you are my Father. You can approach the throne of grace. This is something that the Spirit of God does within you because of your sonship, your position, your stance before God. So He can lead you. He can give you confidence to approach God. Most of us, including myself, I'm often very ashamed. I'm very afraid. And he says, no, the Spirit is not working a fear within you, a phobia within you towards God. The Spirit is working a confidence within you towards God. Look at verse 16. He says, The Spirit Himself witnesses with my spirit we are children of God. So that Spirit witnesses. He testifies. He solidifies. He causes my inner man to have this sense of belonging This is a work of the Spirit of God. I submit to you, often when you feel like God doesn't love you, you feel like God is out to get you, you feel like you can't be confident and honest and vulnerable before God, I submit to you at that time, you're not in the Spirit. You're in the flesh. Because the flesh makes you fear God. The flesh makes you withdraw and run from God. The flesh cannot make you cry out, Abba, Father, with boldness and love and conviction. The flesh is always going to condemn you. Oh, you're not good enough. You got to do more, avoid more. And look at the work of the Spirit in sonship. He can lead you. He gives you this amazing confidence before God. And furthermore, he can testify that you belong to God. This is a work of the Spirit of God. Now the next section, he's going to talk about another aspect in the spiritual life that the Spirit will attend to. And we will talk on this a little bit more at a later time. But it's the issue of suffering. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we can be glorified with Him. And then he goes on and he says that the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. The big issue here that he is trying to address is that the Spirit will cause you to endure through that suffering. He talks about how creation is groaning to be delivered. And he's talking about how we will eventually be revealed as the sons of God. Um, He talks in verse 23 how we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, how we ourselves ache within ourselves to be delivered. And so if you come on to verse 24, you see he talks about how we are saved in his hope. And hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one hope for what he sees? And look at verse 25. He says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with endurance, with perseverance, your Bible may say. And this whole little section here of suffering revolves around this one thing. Can you stick it out? Can you stay the course? Can you suffer long? Bottom line, can you endure. Now the only way that I can endure in the sufferings of this present age is if the Spirit gives me the grace, gives me the life, gives me the strength, gives me the the means and the supply to bear under the suffering. Amen! Many of us, we come to the Lord and we think it's just a red carpet. So we don't lean into the Spirit Because I don't need the spirit really to walk on a red carpet. I mean, I can do that myself. And then all of a sudden, life begins to throw us a curveball. And we begin to suffer. And then many of us turn belligerent against God. Where were you? Why didn't you? It's because we're not minding God. We're not learning to walk with God. And Paul goes on to say here, yes, you will suffer. In the concluding verses of this chapter, he talks about how you will be in dangers. And with a sword at your neck. And how all of hell and power and principality might even come against you. And like a lamb led to the slaughter, you could even lose your life. So how do I endure through all of this? Only by the Holy Spirit. So this is something that the Spirit can aid me in. And He can supply me in. Is to endure through suffering. As I walk through suffering and I'm longing to be delivered from this uh, fallen creation and even this fallen body. And I'm longing to be delivered into the glorious liberty and and, and shine as might a son of God. In the meantime, I have to endure and stick it out. And here he comes with this amazing, comforting Mm -hmm. verse for me where he says that the Holy Spirit will even pray with you and through you and on your behalf. As I live out my life in God, there are things that are beyond me. There are things that are mysterious. There are things that are just impossible to understand and grasp. And notice how he says it. Verse 26, Moreover, in like manner, the Spirit will join in to help us in our weaknesses. As I suffer and sometimes I struggle and I'm led like a lamb to the slaughter and I'm weak, I don't even know how to overcome. He says, we don't even know how we should pray as is fitting. But the Spirit Himself will intercede for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. But he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to God. Not only does He cause me to endure in suffering, but the Spirit supports me in prayer. And there Paul concludes his section on what the Spirit can actually do for you. The very Spirit can pray through a groan within us, a kind of a sigh. At times we pray in tongues and the Spirit can pray through that unknown language. But often there can just be this ache even within you like, Oh God, I don't know what to do. Oh God, I don't know if I should go left. And you're just, oh, you're aching before God. That kind of a groan, the Spirit can be on that. And He can touch the core of your heart and lift it up in prayer to God. Your mind is not sure what you should do, how you should pray. But here comes the Spirit and He supports and He aids and He supplicates. There's another S word. He can intercede through you and even through your wordless groans. He's got you.